this real sense that and Renee hit on it. There was such validity and timeliness to Renee's words last week about going into the promised land, what that looked like, even the the comparisons and all that stuff of the seasons, you know, transitioning in. And um, I w- at the same time when she had told me that God was speaking to her some of these things, I was reading in Joshua, which Joshua's the one leading them into the promised land after Moses had died. So I thought, oh, wow. But... What God was showing me was um, what it takes to obtain the promised land because it's given to us and it was as it was given to them, but there was a war, multiple wars that took place in order for them to get the actual territory. Um, And, you know, I I don't know if we'll even post this because I'm going to be very like open and vulnerable and maybe just recorded for our sake here to be able to listen and stuff, but been sensing a lot of spiritual warfare and some stuff with us not being able to sleep anyway, and that might be due to other things, but the sense, some of the sense that we got was like, there's some spiritual warfare going on here, certain times that we were waking up, um, and even myself, you know, when he would go to work during the day, there would be these, like, irrational fears attacking my mind, which I'm not, uh, as we all, like, went through Nehemiah, I'm totally against fear. I hate fear, and I'm really, like, um, take control of my thoughts and, and when I start to feel fear. And so the fact that I was having all these waves of fear, there were times where after Judek's dying, I was having these, it just this last week even, I could not sleep because I had every time I closed my eyes, I would see him in a tragic accident, and I would be so torn apart and afraid for no reason. You know, there's no reason for that. And then I would wake up, and it would be the same thing. It was almost felt like torment. And then um, we were talking to Seth Amick some, and he was talking about Katie's like what Katie went through. Fear was irrational fear about North Korea coming and like terrorist attacks on the U.S. and she had this like breakdown and immediately as he said that I thought oh my gosh there is some spiritual warfare going on here and, and when I start to realize that I mean I've been in a lot of areas like in Haiti specifically Brazil as well where you see demon possessed people like right in front of you I've seen people welcome demons into their bodies and have their whole contortion type thing happen and then begin to move out of the power of the demonic influence that they just welcomed in. That was in Brazil. And then in Haiti, there's voodoo. And because I'm a, some of my gift sets are discernment, um, prophetic. I'm a seer, so it's like I see in the spiritual realm some things. Um, I'm sensing all this stuff. And then I'm driving with Marie back from visiting Terry, and she randomly mentions Camp Etna to me and I when you said that the whole rest of the ride I'm mulling over oh my gosh no wonder we're having such intense encounters with God here the presence of God even what was released on Monday nights about the stirring of this well that's happening with Marie and with uh, Melissa doing the same exact thing here sensing the same thing from the Lord and even their personal things and then this breaking up the fallow ground what that's doing in the supernatural realm is really stirring up some discontentment. And 
to me, that's really exciting because um, I want to remind us of this thing that we, we read in Nehemiah to start because I think we're, what we're doing is we're, we're stirring up and getting into these places of war and that should not cause fear. It's more that we want to talk about it and expose it so that we are all aware that some of these things that we're experiencing may very well be spiritual warfare. And then how do we deal with them? What I- what's our plan of attack? What's our strategy to deal with these areas of attack? And maybe it's sleeplessness even, you know, for, w- for whatever. Um, it may be other crazy things, but... I want to remind us, Nehemiah 4, the Lord reminded me of this verse, and it so encouraged me, Nehemiah 4, verse 14. And this is when, you know, they're building the walls. We've talked about that for a while. Um, they started to get discouraged but um, and because the enemy was coming in and starting, they were planning this big attack, and they were sensing that the enemy was going to come in and attack them, and they said, we're not big enough to fight ourselves. So then verse 14 says, Nehemiah says, I looked them over and rose up and said to the nobles and officials and all the other people, do not be afraid of the enemy. Earnestly remember the Lord and imprint him on your minds. Great and terrible is he. And take from him courage to fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And I thought, well, this is our strategy. We must fix our minds on the greatness of our God. Imprint him on our minds and take from him courage to fight. And what does it say? Families, brothers, sisters. To me, that's fruit, you know, for the harvest. Not only for our own individual families, but I'm saying the family of God. We're fighting for this, the harvest that's supposed to come in. Um, And do not be afraid of the enemy. So when these things are coming in, it's more saying be aware of it. And then what is our, um, what are the two, I wrote down, we're going to focus on two keys to obtaining the promised land. So the enemy, we're already starting to see little bits of, you know, things are getting stirred up. The enemy's not liking it. He's going to come and attack. And it's not something that we become arrogant about, like, oh, he can't touch me. It's like, okay. Don't become arrogant and focus too much on like, oh, I'm so much better than the enemy. You're not so much better than the enemy. In fact, the the sin that caused him to fall, pride, is probably very strong in each one of us. So um, there are open doors for that. What we say is we're boasting in our God that in our weakness, our God is strong. We're a small group. When the enemy comes in and he's attacking us in whatever way it is, I'm not going to, like, turn towards the enemy and start to just attack the enemy myself. What I'm doing is we have to turn towards God and begin to worship. Because then when we turn towards God, we're saying, I don't even care about you. Because God is the bigger one. And I'm going to worship him and exalt him. And he's my defender. And as I lift him up and exalt him and fix and imprint him on my mind, my enemies and my fears and, and all the oppression gets smaller and smaller because I'm seeing the greatness of God and how he's victorious. And he's going to bring us through in his promises. So 
what number one, the first key to obtaining the promise, be ready to fight, to war. Uh, we were singing, we got into like a warfare thing, and Terry, for some reason, like just, oh, and she was so heavy on my heart. I was seeing her all during worship. I said, you know what? God has something for Terry today. But th this is even a bigger thing. We have got to be ready to fight to war for this community, for the souls, individual families. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be ready to fight and to war? And the first one, worship in prayer. And going back to that Nehemiah verse, we're, we're saying we're going to exalt the greatness of our God. Worship is a weapon. It, Monday night, we were saying, let your song be like a hammer that breaks the ground. Because we're taking our worship, and it's like we're doing that to the ground. And it, it's so awesome because it's a spiritual act. It's by faith alone. We're not doing any, we're not going out into the community, knocking on doors and saying, Jesus loves you. Can we pray for you? And that's a, that's a strategy that can be used. But right now for us, what God is saying, worship and prayer are your weapons. They immediately prayed. Remember all the, the principles we learned in Nehemiah? Prayer was the first thing. The enemy came in. What'd they do? Turn to God in prayer. They exalted him. They worshiped him. First act for us when we're when we're sensing or seeing anything, we're we're not just taking as in in the natural. We're saying, okay, God, is this an attack? Is this oppression from the enemy? Okay, it is. Well, Lord, I glorify you that you will crush my enemies. You are going to put him under my feet, Father. We declare. We take authority over. We break down. You use every ounce of courage and authority that you have, which we have it, and you begin to war and pray and worship. The second one that has been really heavy on me as part of this, what does it look like for us to be ready to fight, is fasting. Now, fasting is not always a fun thing to do. It's never really a fun thing to do, you know, because you're denying yourself. It's hard. But I really felt strongly in the past couple of days, I need to encourage us to fast. And it was funny because Tommy came out after his quiet time one morning and was saying, yeah, and I think we should start fasting dinner here, here, and here for prayer, for the purpose of prayer and, and what God's doing. And I'm like, yes, like this is it. And so fasting looks so different. It can be so different for everyone and whatever God's telling you to give up. It doesn't even always have to be food. Food just typically is the hardest thing for us. But it's whatever takes your time that you're saying, I'm going to fast that because it takes up so much of my time. It could be TV. I'm going to fast watching TV so that during the time I would normally watch TV, I'm going to pray. Right? So it's just get making room for it. So food, we usually eat three, four, five, six times a day. <laughs> Depends on who you are. Um, so if you're fasting food, you're taking that time that you would normally be fast, uh, uh, eating or preparing food, and you're taking the time to pray, hear God's attack. And sometimes that's one meal a day. Maybe you say, we're going to just fast dinner on every Tuesday. Or, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be this like, oh, fasting means I have to go 40 days with no food and just water or something like that. You know, it's, I think we... Sometimes it becomes that overwhelming where it's like, no, just start small. 
But I want to encourage you, begin as a couple, begin to pray and say, God, what are we going to fast so that we can have time to pray? Renee, you know, take the time and say, God, what do you want me to fast? I mean, you're already kind of fasting from fo- uh, lots of foods, but what would, you know, w- anything else that would take your time or even some of those foods? Daniel, in, you know, we know in the book of Daniel, what did he, what type of fast did he do? He said everything delectable, like uh, tasty foods. So all he did was plain vegetables and water, and he did that for uh, 21 days. So a lot of people say Daniel fast, and they do fruits and vegetables. Well, fruits are very tasty. That's Daniel did not eat fruits. He ate plain vegetables. Um, but anyway, you know, it's between you and the Lord of what he's going to ask you to fast. There was a time where God told me to fast coffee. Jay could relate, I'm sure. It's like the worst fast I've you know, I could ever be asked to do. <laughs> I'd rather fast food than coffee. Is that sad or not? Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the Lord told me to s- do a 21-day fast starting on the third s- Sunday. Third Sunday in September, yeah. So two weeks from today um, to do a full 21-day fast. And during that, I'm sharing that with you, number one, to pray. But also, maybe we as a collective body can have a lot more intentional times of prayer and fasting. Tommy had heard in his quiet time also that we should start another prayer set during the week. Um, but what w- what I love about what God spoke to him was that it's going to be just drums for an hour. And people can do djembes and whatever, and he'll play the drums. Because the drums are a warring instrument all through the Old Testament. And in the Bible times, when people would come out with the drums it meant it was time for war. And so you know in the spiritual realm, when you hear this the sounds of drums, we're just making war. Um, and there's power in that. So anyway, I want to encourage to f- start praying into, asking God, what, when are we going to fast as individuals and then collectively, you know, during that 21-day fast, maybe we can pick like three days or something like that where we all do it together as a group and then pick something specific that we're going to attack in prayer. And there are certain things like the scripture when the disciples wanted to cast out the demon, they couldn't, and they'd been casting out lots of different demons and healing sick. What did Jesus say to them? The reason why you couldn't was because this type only comes out through prayer and fasting. There are certain levels of oppression or, and I don't fully, trust me, I don't fully understand any of that. You know, what does that look like? What type of demons take fasting and prayer? What don't, I have no idea. But all I do know is what that speaks to is that fasting adds this other level of authority. Consecration. So harping on that because I think it's Im- really important for us for the level of spiritual warfare that that we're stirring up especially with this Camp Etna thing I like I want to take a day and just war in prayer that God would encounter them as they're seeking other spirits like that's going to be awesome um, and then the second key to obtaining the promised land is consecrate yourselves now that's what Joshua, in Joshua, consecrating themselves meant circumcision, right? So I know, 
Gray's having a terrified look on his face. So Joshua, Moses, what happened was Moses, the people disobeyed God, right? We talked about this a little last week. Joshua and Caleb went in. They had with 10 other spies, and they were the only two that came back and said, we can do this. God told us we could. And the rest of the 10 said, no, they're huge. We'd they will demolish us. And because of that fear and lack of faith, God said, none of you are going into the promised land. Only the next generation. You're going to be in the wilderness until the next generation rises up. So Moses even dies. He doesn't get to see the promised land. He sees it from afar. Joshua comes in, and there's a whole nother generation of of the who we were the kids, you know, when they were in the wilderness, are now uh, grown men, and they're the men of war. And what was the first thing before they could cross the Jordan? God speaks to Joshua, and he says, consecrate yourselves, bring in all these men that have grown up. They, di- were not g- they did not get circumcised in the wilderness, and you've got to circumcise them now before you go into war. Very important key in the New Testament. What did the circumcision say? Jesus said that was only a shadow of what was to come, which now what's circumcised? Hearts. And it means it's a circumcision in the Old Testament. It's cutting off a piece of flesh, right? So in the New Testament, it's cutting off flesh. The flesh, right? We, ha- we have two parts to us, the spirit and the flesh. We're constantly waging war. When we consecrate ourselves, we're cutting off the flesh, and saying we're set apart for God's work, what he wants us to do. So it's very linked even with fasting. Some it's like you're denying your flesh. You're denying those parts, but there's there's more to it. And um, what God was speaking to me on Thursday night here, this past Thursday during the prophetic set that we do, um, was we must close doors. Uh, and I think this is really individual so again there's a lot today there's a lot of this like you got to ask holy spirit to show you with fasting and then with these things about to say but there's close we must close doors to where we've opened to fear to doubt and belief to the lies of the enemy so you're saying holy spirit search me where do i have fear I'm going to close that door. And it takes work. It takes work for us individually. And these are things we can share with one another. We, we don't have to fight these battles on our own. That's why I share with you, like, I'm having irrational fears about him dying. Pray for me. Pray that I will be able to take control of that and come out of it. And that I'll, you know, be able to come out on the other side. And I think if we can be that vulnerable with one another and say, this is where I'm struggling. This is the door. That's fear, and I'm trying to shut it, but I don't know how. Pray with me. Help me. Stand with me. That's what we're here for. There needs to be repentance for holding on to bitterness. And this was so strong on Thursday night. I got this picture, and I don't know who it was for because, you know, we're on the live stream, and there's a bunch of people tuning in, so it could be for anybody. But I kept feeling for myself and for us as well. But I got this picture of Jesus on the cross. And I kept singing out, Jesus is on the cross, and he's been abused physically. Right? Abused physically, abused verbally. People throwing stuff at him, 
tell him, mocking him, all this stuff. So he he's now experienced some very physical abuse, being beaten, and then verbal abuse. He really can relate to us in those areas of abuse. But what did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, for us, it's a lot harder because we and it's so easy for us to hold on to bitterness when people have wronged us. And there has to be a place in us where we say, Father, forgive them. And Father, I forgive them. And we release it. It's saying it with your words, but then releasing it. I mean, there... I have dear friends that have such bitterness against people who have wronged them in the past and they don't they won't even be in the same room as those people. But they say, "Oh, we've gotten over it, you know, and we're we're fine as long as we're not together." And I said, "Okay, well that clearly shows then you're not fine. If you can't even be in the same room as the person, that means you're not you have not dealt with it." And there's such, I know this is kind of a weighty part of the today, but I think it's so important. Uh, the cutting off of the flesh is painful sometimes. Yeah, it's like you got to, it, it says that they did, they circumcised all the men and then they had to wait until they all healed before they could cross over and go into war. There's almost like this cutting, it hurts for me to forgive the where I've been hurt and then I need healing time. And then we go into wartime, right? So there's this progression that happens. So I'm not saying that it's easy or, you know, it's going to be this necessarily just, boop, I'm done, forgive, gone. No, there's a forgiveness, and I'm, I'm saying, oh, that hurt me. What they did hurt me. I know you know that, God, but I forgive them. So much so that I'm asking you to forgive them for the wrong. I'm going to get healed so that... You know, at any time that I'm in the same room as these people or whatever, I can give them a hug. I can be in right relationship without any animosity, anger, frustration, anything. And this is essential before we go into the promised land, before we go into war. Because if we go into war with these things in our hearts, whether we need to repent of something or release forgiveness or close doors to mindsets or whatever, if we go into war with any of those things lingering in us or still open, oh, you can be sure that the enemy is going to harp on that. He's going to take advantage of that in our lives. So it's so important. It's important for us just so that we can be filled with joy and peace and happiness and, wow, you know, there's freedom and healing in that. But it's also essential and vital for when we go into warfare that we've been prepared that we've taken the measures to prepare ourselves to go into the war and take hold of what God has promised us, the promised land. We need to be rid of gossip, slander, and tearing down. Now this is, you know, all of our words. It is so easy to speak stuff. <laughs> is it not so easy? And it's and I don't even think that it's our intention to most of the time, to just to be gossiping or slandering or tearing down. But sometimes if you get around a group of people, 
that are just, uh, and we do it, we Christianize it so it looks like it's not gossip, but it really is. You know, oh, we really need to pray for so-and-so because this is what's going on in their lives. Do you stop and pray right then? No. You've just used that moment and that phrase in order to expose that person's weakness or whatever you didn't like about them. Now, if you were stop, if you were doing it in confidence, like these people are mature, I'm going to share with them, and we're going to pray right now for this person and commit to praying for them, that's a different story, but most of the time that's not what happens. The gossip that comes out or... Did you know this person did this? And did you know this person did that? And beware of this person and watch out for this person. And what is that doing? That's already creating a mindset. So that when I see that person, all I have in mind is what you've told me. I can't see them in God, you know, in the way that God sees them. I have no opportunity to to get to know them without already having this clouded vision of who they are. That's what gossip does. It's already, you know, tearing down. And we don't want that. We don't want that for each other. You know, I think here we have such a unique, awesome group um, where we can <laughs> we can build each other up, not tear each other down. I'm fully confident that when we're not with each other, we're not, none of us are slandering each other or tearing each other down. You know, I'm not thinking that at all. I really don't. And if you are, then... Forgive them, Father. <laughs> they know not what they do. Um, I don't believe that. But I'm saying we need to be the ones setting the standard where we are with whoever we're with in other places. And, uh, you know, people notice when you're like, I'm committed to not gossip, to not slander, to not tear down. I'm going to do that. And so this, these are the consecrations I felt like God was saying this morning. There's many others that we could consecrate ourselves and maybe God will speak to you something else specific to who you are in your situation or you know wherever you're at um, so be listening for that but consecrate yourself two things two keys to obtaining the promised land which is what we're being brought into this is the season that we're in we're going to obtain the promised land so right now we need to prepare ourselves get ready to fight through worship and prayer, fasting, recognizing the spiritual reality around us, the oppression of the enemy, that we're now we're going to take it by force and we are not going to give in. We are going to worship the greatness of God, fast and pray and overcome. Secondly, we must consecrate ourselves, repent, release forgiveness, close doors, and stop, like put a guard over our mouths. So there, there's no gossip, no slander, no tearing down. That we are speaking. I mean, what we can do instead is exalt Jesus even more. What he's doing, how he's moving. The w- and the more that we worship and pray uh, pray and see him for who he is, the more we're going to begin to see what he's doing and only have this abundance of good stuff to be talking about. Truly. Because that's who he is. We're not, f- when we start to slander like, have yucky words coming out or <laughs> conversation it's because we're not filled with his love we've we've grown dry or empty but when we're filled with who he is he's good and we all know personally how he sees us and loves us 
wow, with all of our yuckiness, he sees us and loves us. Why would we not do the same? And if we're filled with that, if we're experiencing that, then that's how we are going to pour out. We're going to see the yuckiness of other people and love them and speak well of them, just as Jesus would for us. We're going to call out the good things from other people instead of just the negatives. We're, we're really good at calling out negatives in ourselves and other people. It's easy to see. Instead, we're shifting. No, we're going to do the hard work of looking, seeing the yuckiness and saying, mm, I see some good there and I'm going to speak into that good. And that's what's going to set us apart. And then we're going to go in and take it all the promised land and see promises fulfilled. So this is like a super, lots of practical things for us to be, even just this week, what we need to be praying about, talking. I mean, it's awesome. You, you know, you guys are together. You can talk through it. What God's speaking to you as a couple, where he's highlighting for you. Tommy and I do the same. And Renee, you can do it with all of us. <laughs> um, or your, even your own parents. We do it with Jesus, your boyfriend. Um but um, your bridegroom, yeah. Your That's doing the good, see? We have a great mentor. You guys. You waited, even you didn't even eat it yesterday? Yeah, my nephew, he's so cute. 